right, welcome back to No BS Season 2. I'm Danielle. And I'm Christina. And we are so excited to be back. I'm it's pumped. break, and we've been doing some really exciting things. And we've been coming up with some really good ideas. We've been spending a lot of time talking about it, so I'm, like, really excited. Yes, definitely. We have some really exciting things this season. In our wrap-up episode for Season 1, we talked about how we want to bring guests onto the show who specialize in certain areas or have experience in certain topics. Yep. Just can give you a little bit more insight and firsthand experience from the experts. And so we fully intend on on bringing that this year. Yeah. I'm so excited to like interview people and bring people on to our to our show. I'm so excited. Absolutely, I am too. Speaking of which, we have a guest today. We do. Yeah, so this is a guest that both Christina and I have known for quite some time. And I have both a personal and professional history with this person. And we have like a really exciting topic that Christina and I were unable to bring you without our guest. Exactly. Even more exciting for us. So this is our this is our very first no BS guest. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having <laughs> me, everyone. No BS, I'm a big fan of, especially, you know, because my two friends are a big part of it. My name is Sean. I'm a male therapist that's going to come to you live today and add some, <laughs> some of my personal flair to the topic that's being discussed, hopefully. <laughs> we are so excited for this. <laughs> we're so we're so excited to have Sean on. I got to meet Sean through Danielle because they used to work together. So I got to meet Sean through Danielle and I'm very excited to have him on because he adds a different perspective that Danielle and I can't bring from a male perspective. And Danielle and I can, I mean, I can definitely speak on male perspective. I worked with men for many, many years when I worked in residential treatment, but it's different when you're on the other side of the coin. So we wanted to make sure we're bringing you every aspect um, and every perspective that you can get, not just Danielle and I's perspective. Yeah. So Sean is coming to us today with a topic that I think is incredibly important and that Christina and I have discussed extensively and really feel like the best way to present this is with actually having a male voice here to tell you about the topic. So Sean is going to talk to us a little bit today about the male perspective and expectations that society has of men. Yeah. Yeah. So what we talk about was toxic masculinity and, you know, how that is influenced kind of in your adolescence leading up even into adulthood <clears throat> and some of the factors that you obtain your toxic masculinity from you know whether that's your environment peers family uh even media and uh video games so sean give us a little bit of background about who you are and what some of your experience has been in the field and that way we kind of have an idea of your background before we get into the toxic masculinity thing. Okay. So I started off in the field working in a detox. Um, that was kind of the highest level of care that I've been in, the highest level of, of care that there is. Uh, that was difficult, you know, working in substance abuse. And, um, and that's where you met me. Correct. Yes. <laughs> um, I substance abuse. Brings good part of all that. But, uh, you know, from then I moved on to a hospital setting and that was partial level of care. So clients were there from nine to three usually and then would go home uh, the remainder of the day. So that was difficult because you did provide that therapy during the day and then they would go back into the environment 
you know, which had a lot of stressors, uh, even, you know, sick people that could, they could be returning home to. So managing kind of the acute symptoms and then them going straight home and, you know, that erasing kind of the therapy for the day. But that that was, you know, great experience for me. And I also worked in the IOP level of care. And that was specifically with transitioning kids back into the school setting and seeing them after school to kind of provide the therapy that they needed during the transition back to the school setting. So you've really gotten a good experience with both adults and adolescents. And so I'm sure that you probably saw a lot of the issues with toxic masculinity through that experience. Yes, I did, Danielle. And (laughs) even after that, you know, I think I got the best experience in terms of toxic masculinity with the job prior to what I have now. I was working in a school setting with children who have been removed from their school district, you know, whether that be for behavioral issues or because of their mental health. And I worked primarily with the males there, you know, who were struggling with the toxic masculinity piece, which is they were learning kind of how the masculinity plays a role in their young, a young adolescence, you know, and most of them did unfortunately certainly not have male role models. Uh, They were raised in single parent homes with only a mother, you know, which that only exacerbates kind of the masculinity role for the children. Um, You know, they don't have anyone to model that for them. So in working with these kids that, you know, don't have these male role models, how did that impact them? What what were some of the things that you saw in the way it impacted them and how they viewed themselves? Uh, so mainly how I kind of saw it impact them was if they don't have someone to kind of model that masculinity at a young age, they pick up on masculinity from other factors, you know, which I mentioned earlier is in the media and video games and even through the music that they listen to. So In that, you know, it kind of becomes magnified where now the media and uh, music and video games, how males are portrayed or, you know, they're really tough, really, really emotionless and violent. And, you know, they don't necessarily show how they're feeling and all, all of that, you know, only is detrimental to the youth. And I think that's, you know, they have to look at it from all of those perspectives and find it on their own. And usually they struggle to do so. So explain a little bit about like, what is toxic about some of this behavior? I mean, obviously we don't want to see our adolescents being violent and aggressive and those sorts of things, but explain some of those pressures and like where the toxicity comes into the picture. So the toxic portion of the masculinity is really just focusing on being a male, which is historically emotionless, uh, doesn't talk about how they feel, doesn't talk about abuse, you know, doesn't wear things that seem feminine, doesn't do things that seem feminine, and, you know, anything along those lines. So it becomes toxic when they try to fit themselves into a mold of masculinity and all of those other things that I previously mentioned aren't able to be developed. So some of the experiences that I had working with men, I I worked with the men's community in residential substance abuse treatment for pretty much the entire time I worked there, whether it was the young male population and the adult male population. And in terms of substance abuse, one of the struggles that I used to see them face was 
that uh, inability to express how they feel or that fear of expressing how they felt um, and showing emotion. And then there's like these man rules that like men don't cry, men don't do this and um, men aren't supposed to be this way. And is that kind of like what you're talking about? Like those, those rules that like the perception that um, society has of men based on like media and video games and all that that you're saying? Correct. You're exactly right, Christina. And working in the substance abuse field, you do primarily see, in my case, and it sounds like in your case as well, more males than females. And you know, the males usually get to the treatment centers because they aren't well apt at, you know, addressing some of those emotions and even addressing even a problem. You know, it's, it's, it's historically male related to hold everything in and not talk about it and well you know what's really interesting is that like you know when you when you bring up like the gender like the binary gender if we're going like male female of admissions to a treatment center for substance abuse and how like a lot of times I had worked in admissions in a a residential substance abuse treatment center as my first job in the mental health field and I saw less women were willing to commit, especially women of childbearing age, were less willing to commit to treatment because they felt that they had responsibilities at home. But when I'm listening to you, I'm starting to wonder, like, do you think that there's like, we're so focused on like women's rights and feminism. And while all of those things are wonderful, like I almost wonder if the male perspective has been neglected and women actually have an advantage emotionally because it's more socially acceptable for them to express themselves. You're exactly right. And I think that's ultimately a huge reason why more men are, are at least have trouble, you know, being within the treatment setting And, uh, you know, this goes back to another factor, which is employment as well as historically males are the breadwinners, you know, and that's a perspective that's shifting in society. But I work with a lot of males who one of the main reasons was not only emotionally, but as well as financially, they can't afford, you know, to not be in work. They are the primary breadwinners and they the household is, you know, going to crumble if if they're not employed and they you know, seek treatment. That came up a lot. That Mm -hmm. actually, that, that used to come up a lot, like not wanting to commit to long-term treatment because they have to return to work. And that was always a huge, a huge concern because in the case that they were the actual bread, that wasn't always the case, but in that case, yeah, for sure. I wonder too about the pressures that society places on men and their willingness to accept help because of that. Yeah, I I would definitely think that, you know, society based is men don't necessarily like to address that they do have a problem. Uh, A lot of it, you know, even substance abuse, most, you know, is self-medication. So a lot of the men aren't able to kind of feel or express these emotions and usually tend to use or misuse substances in an attempt to keep them at bay rather than, you know, be able to communicate them, which historically females are, are more apt and society views that as being, you know, more acceptable. One of the observations that I made, and I, I do want to go back to like the not having a male role model thing, because I think that that's really important too. But one of the things that I observe while we're on this topic is that the men that would come in. So typically my experience in substance abuse is working with people that are very sensitive. And because of that sensitivity, it's almost too much to handle. 
they're like what Sean's talking about the the self medication and typically in the males they had a really difficult time managing their emotions so the more comfortable emotion that they were that they can deal with is anger so they would always be very angry i love anger like i'm good with it like i was fine with it. I, I got it but it was more comfortable for them as they were experiencing and getting their feelings back to go to anger immediately and you know wanting to show up another i mean i've stood in between fights before you know not the best idea in my career but i mean they weren't trying to hit me but um you know i mean that came up a lot has that been is that in line with what you're talking about has that been your experience too yes and i'm so happy that you brought that up christina i think you know anger being a secondary emotion usually that's how men tend to contend with with everything you know especially in, with going along with toxic masculinity anger is part of being masculine, unfortunately, you know, we do as children, adolescents and adults at times, we do fight and men are portrayed in a way where they are hunters or warriors and going back to biologically, you know, hunters and gatherers. But, you know, I think anger is something that we immediately turn to because that's a lot of times how, how males are viewed and it's an easy emotion to express, especially when males are suppressing these other emotions that are harder for them to express. So just to jump in and explain secondary emotions, secondary emotions are generally a product of several emotions. Um, so for instance, like we're talking about anger, which is one of the best examples of secondary emotions that there is. And anger is one of those things that oftentimes is not just you're mad, it's you're frustrated, you're hurt, you're upset, you're mm -hmm. just or aggravated, you are confused. There's a million different emotions that all kind of stirred up together can oftentimes become a little too big for us to express individually. And so, you know, visualizing like the volcano effect of like the pressure building over time, mm -hmm. finally, this like explosive expression, which comes out as anger, even though anger is not necessarily the root. Yeah, a lot of this just brings me to a lot of my clients, if they're listening, the, my former clients. <laughs> What's underneath that anger? They hated that because there was always something there. Yeah, always, always. Yeah, and the interesting thing in going along with the masculinity is when we do are developing when we're children, you know, even babies, anger is the only emotion that we're able to express at that time. Babies throw tantrums, they scream, they yell, and it's easy for them. And I think throughout the process of maturing and having parental role models in your life, girls are taught that anger is not appropriate. Girls can't exhibit their emotions in that way. And the males, it's okay. It's seen as being acceptable in society. Yeah, actually, this brings me to, <laughs> this brings me to an interesting thought. So like, you know, I've always had a short temper. <laughs> and I've done a lot of, <laughs> I've done a lot of work on it. But I yeah. distinctly remember. <laughs> me too. Me too. Yeah. I can't just pin that on you. I have to. I distinctly remember I was about 20. And I was at a concert and with my cousin and someone had this this these two couples had like, I don't know what their issue was, but they had separated the two of us. And so in this crowd, and so we were trying to like get back to each other. And it was just, 
I don't know what was going on, but it, they were like really trying to keep us apart. Then they had one of the guys had shoved my cousin. And so I said something to him about it. And long story short, it turned into like a, a physical altercation. Me, I'm five one. Okay. I'm not a big person. And this like man. <laughs> and when I got home, I was still angry. Like I ended up having to leave the concert because like security got involved. But when I got home, I was still like reeling from this. And I was, I was living with my parents still. And my mom had come downstairs and asked what was going on. And I was still angry. So I kept like, I was trying to like recount the whole situation. And she was so upset with me. Her response was something to the effect of what the F is wrong with you. You're supposed to be a lady. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's extreme right there. Yeah, absolutely. That's feeding into that stereotype though, right? Right. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Okay. For, for the guy that I got in this altercation with to be aggressive, but it's not okay for me to be aggressive. Right. But like, this is where society has like really molded the expectations of men. Like, like nobody should have been surprised should in quotes have been surprised that, that this guy was getting aggressive, but it was, it was a surprise that me, a small statured woman, would be aggressive. They don't know you. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> they, they haven't experienced the full essence, but that's okay. <laughs> Looks can be deceiving. <laughs> but I but I do think that 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 definitely that definitely plays into that whole expectation of what that male presence is going to look like or what they are expected to do a male is expected and i'm quoting air quoting to fight to be physical whereas a woman is expected to be more emotional and that could be a whole nother topic in a well it even turns into a joke like you know, my boyfriend and I were joking around about something and I was like, it's okay. Like you can cry. You're still tough. And like, that's, I call him tough, like jokingly, but I mean it. I mean, he's tough. He's, he's tough, but it's a running joke. Anyway, he made a comment in response that was something to the effect of like, I don't cry. I haven't cried since I was like, whatever. And he was like, he gave me some like school age. And I was like, so what do you teach your son that he's not allowed to cry? And his son is four. And he said, he's old enough now. We don't cry in this house. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So that's, you know, directly correlated with the topic. And especially those learned behaviors that, that he gets kind of from his father, as well mm -hmm. as, you know, he's probably heard that before. But, you know, one of the things that always stuck out to me when I was growing up is my dad would always say, you know, if I was crying, if something happened you know, just rub some dirt on it and not not expressing how I'm feeling, just kind of suppress everything and, you know, behave appropriately. And or the flip side of that, if something I was a big sports player, so if something happened in my soccer game or wrestling match, you know, which I could have probably solved by communicating or talking to the other person about it and or keeping a cool head and not acting out, you know, his immediate response was, yeah, you got to do something about it. You got to, you got to make him feel the way that you do. You have to, even to the most extreme extent, play kind of tackle him. So like how it's so interesting now that you're in the mental field 
and you have these experiences. I mean, I think the experiences that you have are very normal male experiences growing up, but your perspective seems to be so different. So how did all of that change for you? Yeah, and that's a great question, Danielle. So I think that changed, at least for me, is because I did have both roles filled by, you know, primarily a strong woman and a strong male, whereas they kind of were able level each other out and I kind of explored you know I, I explored and grew on kind of how to achieve a baseline from that whereas I did obtain the masculine piece from my father and I obtained you know the the feminine piece which very from my mother and the scales were tipped as in not having a mother or not having a father where you know either of those pieces can be developed Appropriately. So you said a strong woman and a strong male in your life. And that really stood out to me because it sounds like you had support from both of them that however your personality and your temperament developed, it was going to be okay. And I wonder if that's an unusual thing. I would say at least for, you know, the clients that I've worked with, it is an unusual thing. You know, you might have a father who had one of those missing pieces when he was developing or had a stronger father than a mother. And that's the part in which, you know, he he was then obtaining the toxic piece of masculinity. So I just have a question for Sean. And I wanted, like I said, I wanted to circle back to the to the young males that you were working with that didn't have those healthy male role models in their life, didn't know how to express their emotions in a healthy way, maybe acted out behaviorally, maybe said things that were inappropriate or tried to have a certain persona. You being so well-rounded in embracing multiple sides and the ability to express your emotions, how do you teach that to them? Like, what do you, how do you encourage them? What are some of the things that you say to them? You know, I, I think the best way for me to be able to kind of address that with the males that I work with is the validation piece. You know, I, I think when, when they initially, after they're comfortable, after the rapport is built and, you know, they do start to express some of that, emotion that's been compartmentalized for how long their entire life sometimes and I am there as a male to validate it for them and to help them understand that it is okay for them to feel this way and it is okay to talk about it and it is okay to process it do you find that they're like receptive to you like when they see like an adult male who is masculine in that sense of you have that strong side, but you also have the it's okay to feel emotion side. Do you feel as if they're responsive to that? Does it take time? Is there like a process behind it? I think it's it's initially, like I said, I guess developing the rapport, but most of them are receptive to it. You know, once that they do kind of see me in, in a masculine role and seeing, you know, I do, I do have a masculine side. I, I think that the most important piece, which I discussed before, is the rapport, but I think most of them are receptive to me because I do exhibit maybe some masculine. You incorporate masculinity, perceived masculinity, but you also are not afraid to show emotion, express how you feel, identify your feelings, and not immediately go to anger. Yeah, yeah I think I guess in terms of I portray the masculinity and I also then, then am able to kind of also address my feelings and communicate my feelings. 
I think that modeling is so important. Yeah. Like, I feel like I don't ever stop telling my clients that there is so much strength and vulnerability and mm-hmm. feeling, owning, and expressing your emotions confidently. I mean, that's bold and an envious quality to have and incredibly difficult. Yeah. But like, if we can foster that kind of comfort with vulnerability, I think that it lends to so much healing. And like, I wonder, Sean, when you're working with men who are struggling with masculinity issues, do you, how do you encourage them that the vulnerability is strong? Like, do you reframe it for them? Usually, you know, I can, I can at least reframe. A lot is minimal disclosure, kind of, of how I'm feeling, you know, it's especially important as a therapist for any client to like this podcast is showing we are real we're able to feel as well and you know i think i tend to model that at least where i i do address my own emotions during the process so what danielle brought up earlier in the conversation the feeling owning and expressing i think is important to the toxic masculinity discussion that we're having is males are by no means not able to feel emotions you know this is how we through development we do feel the emotion, but where the piece that's lost in translation is where we own it. And that's where the media and video games and parental guidance is going to come into play is where men aren't able to own how they feel. And then the expression piece is lost from there. I feel, I've yeah. witnessed that firsthand. Yeah, no doubt. Even Three and a half years. Even, well, even like the career piece of it like there's certain careers that have a higher expectation for bravery and toughness and ferocity and not expressing fear or pain or emotion in any way I mean like you think of like police officers military members firefighters even like EMS personnel who experience trauma on a daily basis when they're like going to the scene of an accident to make sure that people are still alive or like walking into houses where a suicide just happened or, you know, like trying to save someone for hours and still losing them. I mean, that's no less traumatic to a man than it is a woman. But I think that the expectation is that men don't talk about it. They don't feel it. They don't address it. Yes. It's like, it's so, it's so unfair to any human being that they would feel like, it's not okay to express their pain or their discomfort. Like there is such beauty in working through those things for personal growth as well as professional growth. But I think that the, the expectation on men is so different than it is from women, especially when we're talking about like a structured work environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm so glad that you said that. And okay. And I want women do compartmentalize too then they don't want to feel their feelings it's not just males so just from the perspective what we're talking about is just this toxic masculinity and i in my experience in working with men i mean you know like danielle mentioned you know first responders stuff like that like military and i would ask them like well, where did you where did you put all that well i don't know i just i just don't think about it i just it always out right and it always well we know that like i know i know but i need to hear it though it's like comes out it's like 
it's like playing whack-a-mole with your feelings. Like you keep like smushing things and like stuffing them away and it just pops out in other areas as something else, but it's all interconnected. And so not dealing with those like deep inherent emotions that are disturbing and not owning those things, not expressing those things. It turns into like this whirlwind of like toxicity and emotional irresponsibility. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you mentioned emotional irresponsibility because that's what it really comes down to when you're not properly and healthily, I guess I should say healthily expressing your emotions when it does come out as this aggressive anger induced uh, form of communication that is unhealthy. But that's what that breeds is that it's not okay to break down, process the trauma that you've been through so on and so forth. So it's easier to show it that way because that also makes you look tough. It also right. gives you that persona. Like I, nothing bothers me, you know, and, and, and I do have to stress women do this as well, but for the sake of the topic, like this is something that I witnessed and it was very interesting to see. And, you know, I agree with Danielle that power and the vulnerability, it is so beautiful to go through something and it is actually brave to be powerful brave to be vulnerable and it's a beautiful thing if you let it happen but I had to teach that to people that that was okay I think unfortunately most people have to be taught because regardless of your gender the way that we're raised and I can only speak for this country the way that we're raised does not foster an environment that appreciates the vulnerability. Regardless of who we are, I think what happens is people will automatically assume that we're weak because we're expressing emotion when in reality, that strength and vulnerability and that ability to have such emotional intelligence that you know what you're feeling, why you're feeling it, and how you can appropriately express it responsibly, not just like, you know willy-nilly like blowing up on people and it's fine because you know that you're upset like that doesn't work but having the emotional intelligence of being responsible and expressing your emotions and understanding your emotions on a deeper level I think lends to such incredible strength and admirability Mm -hmm. yeah I would agree and while you guys were kind of talking about this I went back and kind of thought of how I do explain it to certain men who are having difficulty kind of contending with any emotion, expressing it, addressing it. And I put it in the simplest terms, which kind of breaks the ice and might make them feel more comfortable in talking to me about it. But I describe emotions as piles of trash, right? So you've got a pile of trash in your room, in your head, you know, thinking about it in those terms. And cleaning it up isn't going to be the funnest thing to do. It's not going to be the easiest thing to do. So that's why we avoid doing so. And that pile of trash just continues to build, build, and build. But the pile of trash is going to continue to sink. And it's going to continue to obstruct you and it's you're going to step in that pile of trash quite often and maybe sometimes unconsciously but you know most of the times you you'll understand it and you'll be aware of it and we have to start trying to clean up that pile of trash which is all of the emotions that we have been suppressing and holding in throughout a timeline a period of time so what do you do to encourage somebody to start cleaning the trash out like what how do you begin to guide someone? Like, I'm sure the experience is diff- different for everyone. 
but like, how do you begin to guide them? I guess with a male, since, you know, we so we are so apt to kind of go the anger route and that's acceptable. I tend to start to clean up the trash, at least related to underlying issues that do uh, have to relate to anger, um, you know, and that could be anything from a relationship ending, you know, a friend stabbing you in the back or anything in, in, in between and kind of first allowing the males to address and express that anger that they do know, but they have been expressing in an unhealthy way, allowing them to start to do so in a healthy way. And then, you know, being able to contend with the other emotions is first how they start to clean up the trash that they, they kind of understand. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. I think that it's, I think that that's like such a nice, like gradual exposure kind of way to like lead people into processing through their emotions is to first take them through the things that are natural to them that they understand most. And then like slowly start incorporating like, okay, so, you know, like Christina said earlier, okay, so what's under the anger? What's under that? Why are you angry? And then, you slowly start getting into processing like the disappointment, the shame, the frustration, the guilt, the, you know, insecurities, betrayal, you know, whatever it is that you're feeling. Yes, you're exactly right, Danielle. So this topic is incredibly broad and we're really happy we were able to have Sean be a part of this to give that perspective because while Danielle, and like I said earlier, like Danielle and I can offer our perspective on things, I do love a different perspective from a different gender that can mm -hmm. that can add a different side of the coin that's not absolutely and i wish that we had more time we could really this is another one of those topics that yeah. we could just ever and we've mentioned that in in our last season as well that there's just some topics that we feel like we could do a whole series on well toxic masculinity is one of those and i think that it was such a treat to have sean on to be able to talk to us about this and like give us a real life male perspective but also a clinical perspective yeah and it's nice to see it, it's nice to see that and and be able to kind of like pull that apart a little bit and you know for any you know males that might be listening that this resonates with that you know it is okay to explore that side of yourself because it isn't an easy thing to do it really isn't from a human perspective is it isn't an easy thing to do and on top of it these man rules and these this this sense of this toxic masculinity from base from environmental reasons or environmental factors that can contribute it makes it way more challenging so what i want to say and i I don't know if you guys are going to be on board with this, but first of all, we'd love to have Sean back again. Yeah. Um, would love to talk about this some more. And what I'm really interested in, and, you know, not just from our male listeners, but from our, from our female listeners too, that have, you know, men in their lives that they don't, you know, maybe they have questions about to post questions to Danielle and I, on our Instagram, specific questions, they want to know more about this topic of to toxic masculinity from Sean. And we can have Sean back on in the future to address these specific questions. I think that that's a fantastic idea. And, you know, I would, I would also like to bring to the table some perspectives from the LGBTQ community, because masculinity, I don't think that societal expectations are really fair to the non-binary or lgbtq community it when it completely this male 
expectations. And so I think that it would be really good too to have like some questions about that. And, you know, Sean is an open book for us and, and totally willing to, you know, answer some of these questions to the best of his ability. But I think that it would be amazing to have that sort of input. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, and I definitely don't want to exclude just male, female. This is inclusive to every human being. That's why I, I brought that up earlier. Like, it's not just about what a male's perspective is. It's inclusive to every human being that has a question regarding this topic. You don't have to necessarily personally identify, but maybe you know someone or maybe, or maybe you're confused about something and we're open to everyone. This is a safe space for everyone to ask questions. Absolutely. I'm so, so, so excited about this. Sean, thank you so much. Thank you, Sean. Thank you guys for having me. I yes. hope to be back soon. Oh, good. Yeah. This is good. <laughs> what an excellent start to season two. We are so excited to launch off our guests. Of course, there will definitely be episodes where it's just your two favorite therapists, Tina and I, who... Sorry. Not, sorry. <laughs> But um, we are so excited to have some guests to bring you. And Sean, please definitely come back. We, we loved having you. and Loved having you, Sean. Yeah, this is a great platform that you guys have. I appreciate the invitation. I'll come back anytime. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again for listening to No BS. As always, we will have the National Suicide Hotline listed at the end of our episode. So please stay tuned. Also keep an eye on our Instagram page and the highlights at the top of our Instagram page for some resources for mail support, as well as a number of other things. We want to make sure that if you have questions that we have answers, and if we don't have answers posted, please feel free to reach out to us on our Instagram or our TikTok, which is at no underscore BS therapy. Our email is also listed on our Instagram page. So feel free to shoot us an email. We are so excited for season two and we're yeah. so glad. So pumped to hear from you guys too. We've gotten such an influx of followers on social media and you guys have been sending us messages, asking amazing questions and um, giving your own perspectives on things. And it's been so cool to have the audience involved in this platform as well. Absolutely. Happy 2021. Yay. Happy year. Hopefully fresh start. Yeah, let's, fresh let's go in quiet. <laughs> and let's, let's not cross our fingers or toes about the outcome of this next year. Let's cross. Let's just go in nice and quiet. <laughs> <laughs> we will see you next episode. Thanks again for joining. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or a desire to self-harm, please reach out to the National Suicide Lifeline at 800-273-8255 for 24-hour support. Thank you.